Civilized Barking is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, sometimes with prices up to 60% off. If you want to go to the college football playoff or even the national championship game, get on GameTime. Discounted prices right up to kickoff. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app at Google Play or in the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Hi, everybody. I'm Zach Jackson. Um, this is our Browns podcast, but today it's a Joe Burrow podcast. And no, we don't think that the Browns are bailing on Baker Mayfield or trying to trade their entire future and get Joe Burrow. But he is an Ohio kid. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy on Saturday. I watched him in high school. Um, I was there at his signing ceremony at 630 in the morning in Athens High School on a really cold February day. Um, nobody gets up that early in Athens, Ohio, if you know anything about it. But it's a story I've followed. It's a really good story. And uh, my friend and colleague, John Greenberg, who's the editor uh, of The Athletic Chicago, came back to Ohio um, about a month ago, actually. It published last week. I hope you guys will get a chance to read the story that he did uh, about Joe's time in Ohio. Um, His dad was a coach at Nebraska and then coached for a long time at Ohio University. So I believe from fifth grade on, Joe Burrow was in Athens. Uh, He played in the state championship game. He was Mr. Football in Ohio, and he signed – with Ohio State, where he spent three seasons and transferred to LSU. He was good as a junior, and he's been phenomenal, as you know. So we know he's going to win the Heisman on Saturday. We think he might be the number one pick in the draft. So what I did is I called up John Greenberg. We called up Brody Miller, who is the Athletics LSU beat writer. Uh, we called up Ari Wasserman, who's one of our Ohio State beat writers and a longtime recruiting expert. And we called up Dane Brugler, the Athletics NFL draft guru. And I wanted to get... Uh, all these stories, all this insight kind of paint a picture of who this guy is, uh, how he's gotten from from where he started to where he is now, to where he'll be Saturday night at the Downtown Athletic Club. You know, I don't think the Heisen really means what it used to. Um, that's kind of a societal thing, but it's still college football's greatest award. It's still a hell of an honor. And for a kid from Athens, Ohio, to do what he've done, he's done and to be sitting there Saturday night is pretty cool. So, um, just wanted to take an hour or so this afternoon to get these guys together and do this. So thanks to them. Uh, if you'll stick with us, you're going to hear stories about Joe Burrow befuddling high school defensive coordinators, college defensive coordinators, recruiting experts, uh, difficult decisions that were already made at Ohio State and at LSU, uh, being accepted and then being a hero in football crazed Baton Rouge. And then we're going to talk about his future. Um, you know, with three weeks left in the NFL season, the Bengals have the inside track on the number one pick, and maybe he'll get to stay in Ohio. So if you're a Bengals fan, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. If you're just a Joe Burrow fan, or if you're an LSU fan, we're glad to have you. So um, again, I, I was working for Fox Sports Ohio in the early part of this decade, um, covering a bunch of things, but specifically Ohio State football. And I had known about Joe Burrow through the recruiting circles. I went to his state semifinal game against Akron St. Vincent St. Mary. It was in New Philadelphia on a Friday night. And I was on the hill and I watched these beautiful, beautiful passes um, bring an underdog Athens team back against a team that I believe had won two straight state titles at the time. Uh, he, he committed to Ohio State. It was at the signing ceremony. And then he never got on the field there. And I think Dwayne Haskins, who went on and crushed records, uh, I, don't, I don't know if Ohio State has regrets about that. <laughs> they obviously have their riches there. They made their choice, and it worked out. Joe Burrow went to LSU. So uh, I'll quit rambling. But, again, I'm really proud of this project, really excited for you guys to listen. And we're going to start um, in Chicago, where John is now, but really in Athens, Ohio, where he spent a few days um, with Joe Burrow's family, with Joe Burrow's high school teammates, his high school coaches, um, in, in Joe's living room, honestly, for part of the story. So click over and read it as you listen. But uh, this is Joe Burrow's story. This is Joe Burrow's quest for the Heisman Trophy. All right, so as promised, uh, from my introduction, we start with the man who just last week wrote the story about uh, 
Joe's Ohio roots and specifically his senior season in Ohio. That is John Greenberg, who boldly and bravely took on the test to return to Athens, Ohio and dig in. Um, how's your liver? You know, it's not too bad because I've realized I'm too old to really hit the night, hit the town in Athens. I basically just have to like resign myself to the brewery and to the dive bar for adults. So I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, let's start by, by painting the picture of Athens for outsiders and specifically Athens high school where, where he attended, um, you know, there, it's not a transient school in that people come and go for athletic reasons, like you see in some of the bigger cities, but <laughs> it's a lot of what professors, kids and coaches, kids, right? So you have the Southeast Ohioans who are probably generations who have grown up in one of the small towns in Athens or surrounding Athens and go there. Then you have a lot of kids from a lot of different backgrounds who come in and they don't stay. And Joe came in fifth grade, but he did stay. So um, for this kind of athletic greatness was obviously the exception to the rule. And it wasn't just him. It was the group around him uh, that will be forever remembered. But fair to say he's taken this to the new level, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, the other guys like, you know, when I was there, I talked to the Lerman twins. Um, and the Lerman twins play for Ohio right now. They're, they're two twin tight ends. And they, they don't think of themselves as like equals yeah. to Joe, you know, right. um, you know, they're preparing for the potato bowl and Joe's preparing for the national championship. <laughs> it's a little different. Um, you know, Trey Williams is the guy that was almost, I don't know if he was the, you would say is the difference maker, but kind of the X factor besides Joe, obviously. Yeah. Because Trey transferred in as a sophomore when his dad got hired to coach for Solich and as their star running back, I think he ran for like 5,500 yards you know, about half of what Tyrell Sutton ran for another right. Northwestern guy. But Trey was committed to OU and then Northwestern recruited him to be a d defensive back and he ended up going to Northwestern. And he just finished off a, a really terrible <laughs> 50 year senior season with, yeah. uh, with fits in the gang. So yeah, these guys are living a little vicariously through, uh, through Joe's exploits. Yeah. I guess just in general, um, you know, it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. Uh, when you and I were in Athens, but then there's a university and it's the woods folks. It's Appalachia. You know, it's, um, it's a lot more modern than your, probably your last visit. Right, John. But this is uh, obsolete. It's the major airport is an hour and a half away. And I think, what is it? Athens, 28,000 students or so um, and employees. But other than that, the city is not much. Right. It's like, you know, the, it's, it's rural Ohio outside of the city, you know, outside of the, the, the college itself and the campus is awesome, you know, brick, brick streets, there's bars everywhere. I mean, you know, nice stuff. And you go, you know, just a little bit outside of it and you're in real rural country, you know, it wasn't like a big culture shock to me, you know, coming from Steubenville is not exactly cosmopolitan, but you know, for other kids, it can be kind of difficult, you know, to go there. And there are people that absolutely transfer there out of there because they just don't like being, you know, in that kind of environment. And then there's people like me who, you know, just like walk into bars and think it's the greatest place on earth. Right. Um, I, I know you have some stories that didn't make the story that you want to share as we kind of paint this picture and you want to hit some of the highlights. But to me, one of the highlights was the, uh, the local drive-through with the sign and the, and the Cajun spelling and all that just really seems like Southeast Ohio has embraced um, Joe and this crazy story for, for what it is and really seem to be enjoying uh, their kind of 15 minutes. Oh, absolutely. I was the only person that's, that's gone back. You know, there are a lot of people who've gone back to Athens to do these stories, the planes, you know, a lot of TV LSU has been, you know, doing a lot and they all go to Gigi's diner because that's where Joe gets like an omelet, you know, like a Western omelet. They're going to name after them, you know, whenever they print the new menus, that's <laughs> what I was told. Um, <laughs> I, I skipped it because I'm like, everyone's done that, but we do have a, I do have a picture of Gigi's that also has the go Joe with the Cajun spelling. But the liquor store, to me, says more about the community, the drive through liquor store, because a lot of people are probably thinking, what, what's a drive through liquor store? But like, if you come from a place like where I'm from, or from Athens, or Baton Rouge, you know, drive through liquor stores are uh, fairly common. So I thought it was great. It was like propane, groceries, beer, go Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked the Walmart, which didn't exist when we were there, uh, selling LSU gear. Right. I thought that was a pretty strong statement. Right. And one of, one of the editors for the Athletic Cincinnati, um, his son goes to OU. And he said he was actually at the Walmart and saw it and took a picture of it. Yeah. Because he thought it was the funniest thing in the world that, that there's uh, LSU gear 
some pretty smart uh, purchasing uh, managers at the Walmart <laughs> of old, right. old Athens, Ohio. So um, you, you have dozens of stories of, of just, you know, rare greatness and a kid kind of growing up and, you know, finding his way there. Um, you know, give us one or two that didn't make the story that, that kind of paint the picture of who Joe Burrow is as a player and a person. Uh, well, you know, a lot of them, I had some good ones from um, just from Dom Davis. You know, this is the kind of a separate one because it wasn't about him growing up, but like they had to beat St. Vincent St. Mary to make the state championship. And St. Vincent St. Mary wins the state like pretty much every year, right? In Division Three, they're a power. And Dom Davis was the quarterback there. And he was telling me like, he's like, whenever a team beats us, in anything it's always they celebrate like they won a championship because they beat lebron's school mm-hmm. that's what saint vincent saint mary is now right right so he's like when they beat us i looked he because i was watching and he's like it wasn't that he's like they weren't impressed that they beat saint vincent saint mary they were like yeah we won we were going to the state championship like we knew we were so he was pretty he said that really stuck out to him and he said he really remembers that week leading up to it because he said all they talked about was keeping Joe Burrow off the field. And they did that in the first half. Athens actually trailed 17-7. And it was like amazing. And that's, this is how Athens had lost in every their previous two playoff runs, right? They, they lost in the regional finals, which this was past that. But they just they found that their offense wasn't quite as explosive against kids that could actually play. So, you know, and he goes, Dom goes, the second half, this guy was a man on the mission. And he single-handedly beat us. He goes, it was the, he goes, they don't need a 10 play five minute drive to score. They just walked on the field. And he's like, he goes, his first half stats were like nine for 17 for like 80 something yards. Second half, he went like 22 for 24 for 340 yards. He's like, and I was like, this is not happening. And he, he gave a great definition of their, their offense. Cause I think, you know, you're thinking about what, what were they doing? He goes, think about their offense. They would just start out a drive with a quick smoke screen, slant, hitch routes get them working first and 10. You're like, all right, they're not going to go deep. And he's like, next thing you know, 30 yard Bob. He's like, it was the most frustrating thing in the world. Um, yeah. So that was, that was one of my favorites. Um, there's so the kids had so many, like, it's kind of funny for them because they're still like young enough where they remember stuff, but maybe not like where it's all like, they don't have these gauzy memories just yet. You know what I mean? Well, I think because it's Athens and because he was so good, I was standing on the hill in the end zone for the St. V game. It's the kind of stuff that's lore, right? But it really right. wasn't that long ago. It was 2014. So, but just because he's become the Heisman winner and is the likely number one pick in the draft, it's like confronted all these kids on both sides of it. Like, man, that was really amazing. Like they weren't maybe grasping it or, or it's validating like, holy hell, like it really was that good. Like he really was that good. And, and now everybody else knows. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's how these kids feel is like to them, Joe is the best player they've ever played with. So this is not a surprise, right? That he's doing so well, because this is all they've known from playing him. But for, you know, at the same sense, like the fact that he's doing it at LSU of all places is just like so weird to them, you know? And it's just like, and it's weird to Joe too. Like, you know, he said to his friend, Zach Saltzman, like, can you believe I'm here? Like just driving around Cajun country. Like, it's just like the most random thing place for him to end up. But for these guys, like, you know, um, Saltzman was talking about their, you know, they want, they were like really good high school basketball team too, because of Joe. And they had, they had another guy, E.B. Watson, who went to play at Michigan is now at Dayton. And Trey Williams was really good. And the Lerman twins are six, four. So they were awesome. And they said, but the Michigan kid, Watson, wasn't the one who would take over. He said, like, if they needed a bucket, it was Joe. And he'd be the one that would take over. And just like that, he didn't play baseball, so those were his two sports. And just like the – they just trusted him so much. He was just – you know, he's another world. Like, it was probably honestly not unlike LeBron in, in, you know, St. Vincent, St. Mary. Obviously not the same level. Sure. But it was just – I think it was that kind – he had that kind of, like, reputation – at the school and in, in the area. Yeah, Haley's Comet in Southeast Ohio, no doubt. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember some angst from Urban Meyer because Joe would not enroll early, and that's just what you did for Urban Meyer, but he wanted to play one more basketball season. Uh, with his Yeah, teammates. I actually talked, yeah, I remember you telling me that, and I talked to the Lerman twins about it, and they said there was, like, some concern from them that he was going to leave, 
you know, and go and they, they wouldn't have him for high school basketball. But they said Joe was, you know, he was really committed to his friends. And they were, you know, these guys have now played college football and they're just kind of like, kind of laughing about that. They're like, what value is it of this like seven, this like 18 year old kid getting beat up by, by 23 year olds in spring practice? They're like, it's a little silly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's still committed to these guys. They play video games online as kids do, as these kids do nowadays. Um, you know, so they play video games online every week where Joe's yelling at them about like, you know, something they screwed up at FIFA <laughs> and he's yelling at these guys from across the country, um, about stuff like that. They're like, we still see his competitiveness come through. Um, you know, I don't think there's too many wild stories of him hitting the bars as a teenager. <laughs> um, I do know one of his buddies that Zach Saltzman was just home for Thanksgiving and told me he also went to Tony's and had some, uh, hot nut shots. So <laughs> Okay, so he is a real person. Um, yeah. I, I think what one thing too that really stuck out. You went to the Burrow home. You spoke to the father, right. who's you know his first year retired after a football life, and he seems that maybe his head was spinning, but obviously in a good way. So just your impressions of talking, um, you know, to his father and and just how the the family is just really enjoying this ride. Oh yeah, I mean his dad's full time job now is Joe's like press agent. You know, he's the tour guide to Joe's life because people are just, he had to turn his phone off during our interview because people are just constantly texting him or calling him, you know, and he, he nicely fit me in, in the middle of like interviews with CBS and ESPN. And it's just like he said, he's got, he's got a weekly radio hit in Baton Rouge on ESPN radio there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So he's, he's, you know, we were joking about the demands of his time and he's like, it could be a lot worse because they could be calling for the backup to start. You know, he's very, you know, I, I think they're just so happy. And he's, he, I guess he wouldn't do interviews last year. His last is Joe's first year at LSU, his last year coaching. He didn't want to do any interviews about Joe because he didn't want to distract and he didn't want to like kind of take away from what his actual job was, even though like what's Frank, Frank Solch isn't going to really care. Right. Um, but like it's funny because he still hangs around there. So like the secret Frank Solch's secretary was telling me that, you know, she was laughing saying he needed a calendar for all his uh for all his media interviews. Like he needed like a secretary for himself just to keep track of everything. And yeah. he's also talking to agents, he told me. You know, right. obviously all the agents are calling him, you know, because Joe's the number one pick. He's gonna get the best agent out there. Mm-hmm. You know? And then they're gonna be driving to Cincinnati, which I mean, could you think of like it's great because he's like he's going to be able to play in his home state, but not his hometown, which I think is a huge bonus for him. Yeah, and that's an assumption because we know the Bengals. There's no such thing as a sure thing um, with them. Right, they'll end up winning too many games. But yeah, no, I didn't even game. think about the agent thing, and you know, um, because even though he seems a, he's a slam dunk top three pick, right? Even if he doesn't go number one, you know, you don't you don't take that into account, and and the representation still matters as far as his pre-draft training and then lining up all the endorsements and, and all of this stuff. So, I mean, he's just a kid who was really good and was Ohio, you know, Ohio's Mr. Football and a prized recruit. And now he's, um, I, I like the LeBron comparison, John. I really do. I mean, it's, it just happened a lot faster, I guess, for Joe Burrow. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about this. It's almost like for these people in Athens and his friends, it's like he was frozen in time a little bit. Because, like, you know, he's, he's Mr. Football in 14. You know, he doesn't play again until last year. You know, really play. Right. And then this year he's, like, just – he's just what he was in, in, in high school. You know, it's like now that he finally gets to play in his offense again, you know, it's basically exactly the same. Like, his friend said, it literally looks like high school football in the SEC. He's throwing the same completion percentage in the SEC as he did against the, the Tri-Valley Conference. <laughs> You know, that's great what makes it crazy. Yeah, great line. Right? Absolutely. It, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's beaten up these teams. That's what I think is really interesting about it because, yeah, this is five years ago. And it's like he was frozen in like Ember and like, and now he's back. So I think it's just so cool for the people in Athens and that community, you know, to really, they're, they're so embracing this. You know how it is. Are we going to go watch the national championship in Athens or what? <laughs> I like the thought. I didn't. I didn't think of this earlier, but I like the thought. Um, can I have three can days you, after to write the article? <laughs> can you imagine what that's going to be like? Yeah. You know, with Ohio, if Ohio, let's say he plays Ohio State in it. Yeah. What's the atmosphere uh, going to be like in college? 
Yeah, um, I, I, I have been long waving the flag to get this off of Monday night. It just gets lost in the shuffle, you know, and people are kind of tired by the time bowl season anyway. Yeah. But especially for this game, like put it on Friday or Saturday, if, if oh, it happens. I don't know that Ohio State's going to win, but, man, uh, that would be the dream matchup. Um, that is for sure. Two, two more things, John, before I let you go. From the father or from the friends, um, did you glean anything about either recruiting – uh, experience, you know, how close was it for the Ohio State the first time around? Was he really close to choosing Ellis, Cincinnati, or someone else the second time around? Um, you know, the first time around, it was basically once Ohio State kind of made that early inroads with him, that was it. Um, you know, and then I don't think you know there's no real movement after that because it's Ohio State. Uh, Jimmy did say when I asked about OU, kind of jokingly, that he thinks if Ohio State wasn't interested, that OU would have been a real contender just because he loved it there. And he would have thought it would have been cool because Trey was going to go there at first. The twins were going to go there. And I mean, let's be honest, like people might scoff at that, but the Mac is, is a has proven to be a pretty good pipeline to the NFL for quarterbacks. So like he said, they would have had a chance, but it never came to that. You know, it never, it never happened. So second time around, uh, I think since I didn't really talk specifically about Cincinnati, but I know they would have had a chance because LSU was not like a big favorite because no one thought they would change the offense and they had to have a meeting with, it's not like he dreamed of going there. So like they really had to have those meetings and Jimmy told me he leaned on a lot of coaches. I think he, he worked with one of the coaches there, but he leaned on his kind of coaching network. You know, is this for real? Would they actually do this? You know, is this going to be a good place? And he said it wasn't as, he said, because, He's got that experience. He's got that network that he felt like he had a pretty good read on the transfer situation and, and what to do. But there's, he said, and he said, oh, you came up again, to be honest. Sure. But it was kind of, but because they had a, they had a, it would have been a weird situation because they had a really good quarterback that was already playing. That would have been a, as crazy as it might say, you know, we all, oh, we got to keep Nathan Rourke. At the time, it would have been, he said it would have been a very awkward kind of thing if he would have brought his son in. Well, I know LSU had other guys, and obviously they hadn't been great, but this is the whole thing. I mean, this is not some five-star recruit from Cleveland St. Ignatius or Cincinnati Moeller or one of the big Chicago prep schools, right? Like, he's from Athens, Ohio, and when Ohio State offered, of course he was going to go there. And then when he transferred, he hadn't played, and Ohio State made another choice. So it was like far, far, far from a slam dunk. And now he's a slam dunk winner of the Heisman Trophy. So – it's, um, you know, I don't, I, I think, you know, and your listeners would know this more than like maybe people listening from like other places, but they don't really get that Athens high school making it to the state championship Yeah, is like LSU finding a passing quarterback. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't, it's never happened. And it doesn't, it's just crazy to think like, you know, they said like the, you, I mean, you watched the, the Toledo Central Catholic Athens game. They said the eye test is like, even though you had all these Athens had all these Division One players, the rest of the eye test was like, "Holy cow, these guys are going to get run off the field." Mm-hmm. Right, Big Ten, Big Ten guys across the board, high max. Yeah, exactly. on um, right, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's completely it's wild yeah. that these the coaches even said like that we brought these farm boys to the state championship, you know, and the guys were even saying like it was like Hoosiers when they left Athens. There was like fire trucks, you know, lining the streets banners on the over the highway it was that kind of atmosphere well john your story was great um the stories i think are going to continue to be great i want to get all these other guys in here because i want to share all these but anything that else that you wanted to make sure that you shared that didn't make the story or maybe didn't make the story in the entirety just because you had so much stuff yeah i mean some of the stuff from the big red game was pretty was pretty fun just because you know i went there and the fact that um, that was like a real test game for them because, you know, they playing in that atmosphere is completely unlike any other, you know, road game. They, they went to Zanesville, whatever, and they beat them. But they said that was like, they really felt like that was a test. Um, and I just liked the, I, you know, I talked to Dimitri Caleros, whose brother, we know Zach, has just won the Grey Cup. You've right. chronicled him many times. Um, he said, like, just watching him play was just like incredible. He's like, you know, I thought he had gained a lot of weight and become a lot stronger since college. He goes, but now that I remember it, we couldn't tackle him. <laughs> he was just, he was running all over us, you know, and like our defensive ends just couldn't grasp him. 
and he dominated in the rain. And that to them was the biggest thing because they're a passing team. It rained the whole second half and that's when they turned it on. So like, it was a cool story to hear about how they kind of, they, they dropped, they almost dropped 60, you know, they could have dropped 60 at like one of the longest tenured, you know, high school stadiums in Ohio. Well, uh, again, great stuff that you can read uh, on The Athletic and great stories here from John Greenberg, who did the life and times of Joe Burrow to this point. So, John, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. All right, moving along uh, as we touch all angles of this Joe Burrow story. It's now Brody Miller. He's the LSU writer for The Athletic. He has covered the Tigers for both years that Joe has been in Baton Rouge. He will be there. Uh, Saturday night at the downtown athletic club. Um, let's just start right there, Brody. An LSU quarterback winning the Heisman. It, it doesn't happen every day. <laughs> no, nobody's won uh, a Heisman at LSU in general in 60 years. So for it to be a quarterback, the one position that LSU has just been, for a long list of reasons, just unable to find for decades, it is kind of the perfect story and also shows exactly how important Joe Burrow is to LSU, that it's not just – Oh, he's a really good player. I mean, LSU's had those, but for him to be a transcendent quarterback and to be the guy that actually took LSU's offense out of the Stone Age, I mean, I think he will go down as, honestly, I know this is going to sound really over the top, but maybe the most revered LSU football player ever, if not right there with Billy Cannon. Well, that's a hell of a statement, but I don't have a problem with you making it. Um, You know, that's what we're doing on this podcast is we're we're taking all the -the over-the-top stuff, but this is an amazing story. Um... And I want you to go back at, before we're done here to day one uh, at LSU, but let's go to game one. You know, they had the standalone, um, his junior season, the standalone game against Miami. He was really good in LSU one. Now, I don't think at the time people thought greatness in Heisman, but was it clear right away that, that this had a chance to be different than, than the other stories there, with the, specifically with the passing game? Yeah, I think a few things jump out, and one of them wasn't even on the field. One of them was, you know, right before the game, there was a, a pregame scuffle or fight or whatever you want to call it with Miami and some of their defensive linemen. And Joe Burrow's just kind of walking around with his headphones in like he does most game, and, and not no headphones, I should say. And then he just sees it and storms over right to the heart of it and gets in the middle and then walks off and holds his fingers in the air. And it's just kind of the crowd goes crazy. And I talked to several LSU players that were like, that that won a lot of respect with us. And also, I remember talking to his mother, Robin, and she was like, wow, that's just a side of him I didn't know existed before. So I think that won some people over. But then, yeah, like you said, it wasn't like he played out of his mind that game, but it was some little things that I think planted the seeds. It was, you know, some checks he made at the line of scrimmage to set up a 45-yard Nick Bro set run that, you know, because he saw what the defense was doing. And it was just some little gritty mental things that I think showed, all right, you know, he might not be a star. It might not be some elite passer, which – he ended up being, but, but I think what people saw was, okay, this is already just a level of quarterback or intelligence that, that LSU hadn't had in a while. Right. Um, you know, let's go back to when he first got there, you know, is there a, a story or a quote or an impression or something <laughs> that stands out from someone when they were like, okay, we're, you know, obviously this is new and he's new, but, but we think, uh, we're onto something here. I think there are two really strong ones that stand out. One, he shows up, you know, middle of the summer. Everyone had just been doing conditioning training all off season, and you know, he shows up late. But so he says, you know, I, I'm, you know, they tell him you don't have to do the conditioning test. No expectation. You just got here. But I mean, as you know, I mean, I talked to people at Ohio State who said he was one of the top strength conditioning guys in Ohio State's program. So so he shows up. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to do it. Why not? And he goes and. They're running those long sprints, and Tommy Moffat, the strength coach's conditioning test, is you know pretty legendarily tough. He goes out there without practicing and just and wins every almost every single sprint. I think it was twenty, and he won the majority of them. I know Jacoby Stevens, the safety, said that was the moment that he won. You know that Joe Burrow won him over. It was like, all right, this guy's the real deal. Everyone was trying to beat him, and he just whooped him. But then the one that stands out to me is okay. He came into a very very tricky spot. It was obviously a four man quarterback competition. And Justin McMillan, the main guy he was really competing with, was, I mean, one of the most liked players on the team. And there was some factions going on in the locker room when Burrow got there. And, I mean, a lot of the defense and a lot of these guys, they loved Justin McMillan and they wanted him to win that job and they didn't want this new guy coming in. So Joe Burrow has a lead and obviously eventually the messages get spread to kind of players that like, hey, you might not win this job. And Justin McMillan and Lowell Narcisse, the other one competing, 
they transfer on the exact same day, which, as you can imagine, was a bizarre day in Baton Rouge for two quarterbacks to leave on the same day. And from what I understand, there was a – I don't know too many details, but there was indeed a, a in-practice fight that day uh, that, you know, wasn't about Burrow, but it was in the middle of it. And they have a players-only meeting later that night or the next day. And it, it wasn't just about the quarterback competition, but there was a lot of stuff going on there and a lot of things being said, and much of it really did have to do with that. And Burrow apparently stands up toward the end of it. You know, he was really quiet when he got there. He kept to himself, but he stands up and he says, hey, guys, if any of you have a problem with me, if any of you have something you need to say, say it right now. Get it out on the table because we have a game against Miami in two or three weeks and we need like I'm here to win. I'm not here for any of this. So if you guys have anything to say, it, let's do it. Let's squash it. and Let's move on and try to win. And for several different players, they said that was when it was like, all right, this guy is a grown up. This guy's a leader and, you know, we can trust him. Yeah. I love the story about the sprints because, you know, we always hear about how the guys from the southeast are so much faster, but usually not the ones from southeast Ohio. So it's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Um, so you'll be there Saturday night. Um, has Joe talked at all? You know, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy, even though it's kind of been a foregone conclusion, right, for a month. Has he talked at all about the Heisman, about the moment, about what he'll say, anything along those lines? No, he always downplays it. You know, as you know, with these guys at this level, he's pretty well trained about, you know, he's really big on, you know, I'm worrying about this game, all these things. But he has those moments where he does kind of allude to, you know, how much this moment means and things like that. And, you know, he hasn't said much about what will happen that day or anything like that. And it will be interesting. But what I'll point to is I just think you've kind of seen him the last, I'd say, four to five weeks kind of start to mentally and emotionally just kind of embrace some of this stuff and really start to kind of make sure he's appreciating it. Because I think he was so goal-focused and so kind of you know hard work in those first year and a half that he didn't really slow down to enjoy much. And I think when they... You know, when the when they when hundreds of people are waiting for the plane to land after the Alabama win or, you know, his senior night ceremony where he got pretty emotional and wore the Cajun spelling Burrow jersey and things like that. I think he's, you know, family members have said this to me that he's just starting to really take it in more and get a little more emotional. And, you know, on his on his plane ride home, you know, uh, not plane ride his his drive to drop his brother off at the airport. His girlfriend asked, you know, are you are you, are you sad about all this it's senior night? Never going to play in Tiger Stadium again. He's like. I don't know if sad's the right word, but I'm really going to miss this place. So I think you're seeing an evolution of him enjoy these things. And I, I just say that to tie it into the Heisman. And I think uh, I do think he is learning. He needs to kind of enjoy it. Right. Uh, the, it certainly seems that way from afar. Um, the Cajun spelling on senior night, you know, was that all him? Uh, how did that all come about? <laughs> that was all him. It was completely his idea. He uh, he just basically went to the equipment staff and said, hey, I, I want to do this. And, and it's funny because it's been this kind of like running kind of corny joke around Baton Rouge since the day he got here because – one thing you may know, but I mean, in Louisiana, it's almost obnoxious that if anyone has any kind of O sound in their name, somebody's going to make the joke of spelling it that way. And it's right. been like that for a while. And, you know, he just kind of ignored it or whatever. And it was a thing. But so for him on senior night, him of all people to be like, let's do this. This would be kind of cool. Right. And I think that was uh, that he'd already won this state over. But that was just a a bizarrely, you know, a different level and kind of intensity in Tiger Stadium of just people really being like they, they love this guy he is uh matt moscona a great radio host here on espn 104.5 he had this really good segment of you know like he is louisiana's now like they're now it might change when he goes if he goes back to ohio in the nfl draft and all that but he's like he is louisiana's now and we are his and i think that was just a really different moment especially because it's him it's, it's so out of character for him yeah, and we'll see, you know, where that legend goes depending on on how the playoff games go, right? But but was the Alabama game the one that really sealed it and, and made him um, an LSU legend forever? I think so because and it, it, I, I was saying this at the beginning. There's just there's so much extra relevance to what he's doing. It's not just that he's a good player. It's it is all these things. It's it's a program that has been a sleeping giant for so long and won championships, but because they couldn't modernize their offense more than any school I can really think of in terms of how hard it's been for them, for him to actually be the one to carry them into this, this juggernaut offense and to actually you know propel LSU into the future, I think the impact of what he's done here will go on for a long time. And then, so then the other thing is, okay, haven't beat Alabama for eight years. This program is just a little brother. It's, 
I mean, that took a toll on this state. I mean, it's sure. hard to explain how much this, this state, like, they carried that. It was just this thing of just this feeling lesser for so long. For him to be the guy who took down Alabama to kind of, even if it changes by next year, to say, you know, LSU's back and they're really right there with them. It really completes it all that he's done everything that anyone could ever do here. He's the best statistical quarterback in SEC history. He took LSU into the future, and now he actually took down Alabama. So championship would take him to a level that probably nobody's ever been here. But even right now, winning that Alabama game, like you said, I think that was the moment that he did exactly what we wanted him to do. Yeah, the numbers really are astounding. I mean, the line that stands out to me from from the John Greenberg story is that he's got the same completion percentage in the SEC as he did in the TVC in high school. Like, he has just sliced these defenses <laughs> up. It's been amazing to watch from afar. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's become like a little game around the college football, you know, reporter community of like every week I see a different person saying like, no, this is the craziest Joe Burrow stat. No, this is the craziest. And it's like trying to one-up each other because – it's first the probably, you know, I tried to talk to a bunch of people for a story a few weeks ago about this turnaround and if there's any precedent for a quarterback going from, you know, average to this great like this. And there were a few ones. Russell Wilson jumped out going to Wisconsin. Carson Palmer's junior to senior year was similar. But it's been, there's nothing like it. But it's not just the craziest turnaround in quarterback history in college football. It's also going to go down as just flat out one of the most accurate passing seasons in college football history. He's, it looks like he's on pace to break. The, the single-season college football record for completion percentage in a season. And, you know, you first see that, and your immediate reaction is like, okay, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a spread offense. It's 2019. A lot of it's probably checkdowns and screens, and that might be flawed. The stat that just blows my mind most is that pro football focus tracks, you know, you know, accuracy percentage on throws, you know, different lengths and all that. And one of them was accuracy percentage on throws 10 yards or more downfield. I think the all-time record going into the season was, I believe, Baker or Kyler Murray in the 54% range. You know, that's the best ever. So, like, the fourth best ever was 48%. You know, it's not that high. Joe Burrow is at 67%. So he is 12 to 13% better than anybody's ever been in college football and throws 10 or more yards downfield, which just shows that he is just a different level of accuracy. I mean, his numbers, he is the best, most accurate passer in college football, both on under pressure and not under pressure. Like, it's just the things he's doing are just defying what, you know, analytic experts and draft experts and all these things knew were really possible, let alone against the competition they're playing. Right. All right, Brody. Well, the purpose of this podcast is to, you know, share these stories and, and kind of paint a picture of who he is. So I know you got five more weeks to write about him. So maybe you got one you don't want to give away, but does anything come to mind that you don't want to leave out before we sign off here? <laughs> I'm, I'm running out of things to write about him because I've been <laughs> writing about him so damn much the past two years. But, you know, I, I think I go back to, he has this absurd confidence and I'm trying to think of a good professional athlete comparison because he's not like a trash talker too much, at least. And he's not like a, you know, a way that's harmful, but he like, I, I asked him after the Texas game, you know, like, you know, is this, is this good, feel good to kind of, you know, prove to people that you are one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And he's like, I don't know, because I've known I'm the best quarterback in college football for a while. And that's how he thinks. And what jumps out to me is, you know, before the Texas game, college game day shows this clip of, of, uh, of the Texas, you know, band or whatever, shooting uh, a, through a Joe Burrow jersey through with a cannon. And it goes through it. And he's watching on college game day with some teammates and he turns to an offensive lineman and he says, he just kind of calmly sits there and says, all right, got to go put up 400 on him now. And then and it, he did exactly that. And then uh, the Vanderbilt game, he took a late hit on the sideline. And, he, and you, know, he, you know, it causes this little, te- little mini scuffle. And somebody says something and he turns back, goes up and just holds five hands up, five fingers up in the air. And we're like, oh, I wonder what happened there. And we ask him, we're like, what are you saying? He's like, oh, I said, uh, you're very, it's an honor playing on the same field as you. Well, we found out later, he went up to him and said, I'm going to put 500 yards on you. He didn't get to five. He didn't get to 500, but he got pulled with 398 after three quarters. So I think yeah. there's a decent chance he would have gotten there, but yeah, he just has that kind of crazy confidence. And that's what's it's, it's been a fine balance as you know, as a writer to kind of, you want to tell these amazing stories that are kind of out there, but you also don't want to get into like hero myth making and kind of yeah. be hyper hyperbolic with, with how you write about a guy. But he kind of just hits all of those stereotypes you talk about when you talk about those those all-time great quarterbacks and those all-time great sports figures of just that that obsessive, confident quality that I think makes him who he is. And that's what's been the craziest thing for me to watch. 
that's the guy I remember from when he was 17 and uh, to be able to translate it and carry it and to do what he's done is, is amazing. Uh, it's been fun to watch. I'm sure it's been fun for you to cover. So Brody, thanks for the time and enjoy uh, New York city. Oh, thanks for having me guys. Take care. All right. So we've gone from Athens, Ohio to Baton Rouge. And now we go back to Columbus as we tell the Joe Burrow story. Ari Wasserman, one of our Ohio state writers, uh, has covered Ohio State for a long time, so he covered the recruitment of Joe Burrow. He covered Joe Burrow's career at Ohio State and the exits. So um, I guess, Ari, you know, we, we've seen this happen. What What is your level of surprise or or maybe not surprise with uh, how his star has risen since leaving Columbus? I think anybody who tells you that they're not surprised that he's about to win the Heisman Trophy would be lying. Um, I, I think that, like, when anybody – gets to that point, there is a level of surprise. I mean, even a five-star prospect at Ohio State, there has to be, because that's just the highest possible pinnacle that you can get. So when it came to Joe Burrow, um, if you go back and you look at the way that he arrived at Ohio State and, you know, the competitions that he's had, you know, he's just got put in some bad spots in terms of who was in front of him on the depth chart. So, um, but I thought he'd be a very good quarterback. I knew that in his recruitment, he was underrated. Anybody who watched him play in high school knew he had uh, enough talent to start at Ohio State, even though some even doubted that. But to see him transfer, go somewhere else, and now become one of the best players in college football and the heavy favorite to win the Heisman Trophy, it's been kind of an interesting thing to watch. And I know you covered the recruitment closely. Um, you know, some of the stories going back to the Texas game in September, Urban Meyer was apparently telling Tom Herman, go find someone better. And Tom Herman kept saying, I promise I've tried and we, we haven't. So, um, you know, take us to those and, and kind of the process of Ohio State finally offering him. Yeah, when you look back at the 2015 Ohio State recruiting class, um, they had Torrance Gibson in that class. And he was like this four-star prospect who uh, was from South Florida who was like this like dual threat, almost LeBron James light type of player. You know, people thought that he was going to be the next amazing uh, quarterback uh, at Ohio State. But, you know, there was also, you know, he's a six foot four, 205 pound athlete that ran all over the field in Fort Lauderdale. And like everybody, he was the most exciting prospect in the class. People read about him like crazy. People were excited about him. So when they went and got Joe Burrow, he was more of a pure quarterback. They needed another one just in case Torrance Gibson was going to move to receiver. So that was the last time Ohio State signed two like legit quarterback prospects in the same class. And I think everybody knew that they were going to need another one. Um, but the thought process, I think, at the time was that, oh, they just went and found a three-star Ohio quarterback to fill up the roster and be an extra arm in camp. I don't think people really understood how good Joe Burrow actually was until he got to Ohio State. Right. Um, I, I, that's kind of how I remember it, too, just from, from one in-person experience. Uh, one of the things we talked about, I remember Urban not being happy that he wouldn't enroll early. W was that a major issue, or are we making too much of that? You know, I don't know exactly what, you know, transpired there in terms of, like, you know, not happy. I, I think that Ohio State would always prefer, if the numbers permit, to get as many players in early as possible. And Ohio State was, at that time, you know, had JT Barrett in the fold, and you know, it just kind of seemed like they were going to be set at that quarterback position. But of course, whenever you have a quarterback coming in, you know, that extra fall camp or that extra spring ball is basically like an extra fall camp. You know, three weeks of just development, understanding the playbook, all those things are, are super important. But, you know, at the time, I don't remember ever thinking Joe Burrow wasn't doing the right thing or that the Ohio State staff was displeased with him. Um, I just think that that's just kind of the way it worked out. Right. Um Urban sweated the decision, right? And and he wanted to be fair to to all involved. How close was it between Haskins and Burrow? And you know what? Just about that whole last chapter at Ohio State stands out to you now, a couple of years later. It's it's so funny because like I you know at the athletic and even back in my previous jobs, I've always tried to cover the team with like a real angle to it. So trying to like take what the coaches say and just transcribe it in a way and deliver it in a way that I think is what's actually going on. And I remember during their quarterback battle uh, between, you know, Joe and Dwayne, I always just assumed, and everybody just assumed that Dwayne Haskins was going to be the starter. 
because Dwayne Haskins came in the year later, uh, was like the four-star prospect from Maryland that Ohio State was going to build the future of the program around. Everybody knew what kind of arm he had. I mean, the whole plan was always uh, from internally, in my opinion, to start Dwayne. But I remember Urban and the quarterback and quarterback coaches and the offensive coordinator, they would always say, we don't know who's going to win the starting job. This is a neck-and-neck race. This is this is so closer for us to call. And, you know, at the time, I just always thought that that's just the nice thing to say from a team that isn't going to, you know, announce their quarterback decision. I mean, let's be honest. They tried to make a quarterback decision or a competition this year between Justin Fields and Chris Chuganoff. <laughs> right. And that even lasted into fall camp. So, like, a lot of times these quarterback competitions are made up. And I thought that that one was made up. Um, but now once you see that Joe Burrow not only had the ability to transfer to a place like LSU, but got the starting job right away, um, it kind of just made you think, well, maybe they weren't so full of crap when they were talking about how close it was. Um, and even last year, Joe Burrow was fine. I didn't think that he was like, obviously, who he is right now. I mean, his second year, I, I thought that, you know, Joe Burrow in his first year, excuse me, at LSU was who he was. Like last year when we saw him play, I thought he was a fine quarterback, not the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, but not the worst, somebody who could start at the highest level, but wasn't dynamic. And then year two into the program, he's turned into a potential number one overall draft pick. So like this year has been bonkers. Like this is not what I thought. I thought he was a good quarterback. I didn't think he was going to be the first pick in the NFL draft and the Heisman Trophy winner. Right. Um, are you, as you know, so many times transfers, there's hard feelings or someone did something wrong off the field or felt like they were lied to. All of this it really seems like this was amicable, at least to an extent, right? And the, the guys in Columbus are still rooting like crazy for Joe Burrow unless they play him in January. I've been waiting uh, for the past month for that, that switch to flip from go Joe with the alternate spelling to holy crap, Joe could ruin the season for us. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I don't know when that's going to happen. I guess another month they might be rooting for him in the you know semifinal in LSU suits up against Oklahoma, but eventually that switch is going to have to go off, I think. Um, Ohio State fans have been super supportive of, you know, uh, his career, and I think people understand the reality of the situation. Uh, when a player like that is good enough to play at a, a program like LSU and was just in an unfortunate position to have to be sitting behind Dwayne Haskins. And, like, as much as we're talking about how awesome Joe Burrow is right now, I think we have to also remember how awesome Dwayne Haskins was. I mean, we're talking about a... Heisman Trophy finalist and top 15 pick too. Dwayne Haskins was better quarterback last year than Joe Burrow was last year. So when you look at the quarterback competition, Ohio State clearly made the right decision at the time. Um, and, you know, when you're Joe Burrow, you know you're ready to play at that moment. You know you're good enough to play. And you just happen to be at a place like Ohio State where somebody in the moment who's better as you is going to get the starting job. And I think that's the same thing that happened with Justin Fields at Georgia. Jake Fromm's a fine quarterback. Justin just wanted to play sooner. And I think that it's possible that if Joe would have stuck it out behind Dwayne and, you know, stayed here, he would have been one of the best quarterbacks in the country at Ohio State this year. But there was no way at the time that he could have predicted that Dwayne Haskins was only going to play for one year and then go get drafted in the top 15. So at the time, everybody understood the decision and supported it and, and now have continued to root for him because he is an Ohio kid. He's an Ohio State graduate. Um, he has come back to campus and still maintains a lot of friendships with the players on this team. And, you know, even the ESPN interview that they showed on game day on Saturday, they asked him if there were hard feelings. And, you know, Ohio State fans appreciated the way he answered that question. So I think they're going to continue to support him until they have to beat him. He probably knows more guys on the Ohio State team than Justin Fields does. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, he was here for a long time, and I don't think people realize that he graduated. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of times people look at him and just go, well, he didn't stick it. Like, I think there's a certain bias for anybody who transfers. I mean, even when Justin Fields arrived at Ohio State, people thought, well, he wasn't loyal enough to his team to stick, you know, behind Jake Fromm and wait his turn. And it's just like, I think we have to get to a point as, as, uh, as in the sport with fans, reporters, and anybody else to understand that this is a business. And kids just want to play football. And I don't think anybody with a sane mind can blame either of those two kids for leaving. You just want to play, and you know that you're talented enough. These coaches tell you if you're talented enough. They know what they're doing. 
Um, Ari, I know you, when you cover recruiting, you, you cover it. So was there one of these quarterback camps or an unofficial visit, something you have an impression of a 16, 17 year old skinny Joe Burrow, um, that, that sticks with you to this day when you see him on, on ESPN every second this week? You know what I always think of, uh, more so than his actual recruitment was like the day he showed up at Ohio state. And I don't know, um, if you've ever been to one of these, maybe you have Zach, but like, you know, at the beginning of the year, every year they have this fall camp check-in day Mm -hmm. where you, where all these reporters line up in front of a hotel and take pictures of the team as they arrive for fall camp. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, I I watch it every year on Twitter. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like this like weird fashion show for teenagers showing up to camp to see how much bigger they've gotten during the off season. And Joe Burrow walks in, and he's wearing like a Looney Tunes shirt, and like he looks like he honestly did not look like a football player. It looked like a coach's son or something. And he's like walking in with all these like buff, uh, polished, pristine athletes, and he just like looks like the skinny. And he, he was just like wearing this weird shirt, and like even in the next few weeks after he like wore a shirt with a wolf howling at the moon, and it just like looks so out of place. But I think now that when people get a chance to like listen to him speak and the way that he talks, they can see that he has an eccentric personality and people think he's funny. I think he's funny. Um, he had that bleached blonde hair, like a California surfer boy, uh, coming from Athens, Ohio when he came in. And it just always felt like, you know, at the time looking back at it now, it's like, Oh, this is the kid that they brought in to have an extra arm, uh, while Torrance Gibson takes over the quarterback room. And that wasn't the case. He was a lot better, um, than people thought, and I think he was a lot better than maybe even Urban Meyer thought. And the fact that he even pushed Wayne Haskins to the end um, of the whole competition last year before this all happened is just a testament of you know what this guy can do. And he can run a lot better than people think, too. He was more of a dual-threat quarterback than any of the other quarterbacks that they signed in the previous years. Ari, I try not to be such a cranky old man, but as this you know, me first and instant gratification society and athletic society that we have is it trickles down to even the high school and middle school levels. I can't help but think about Joe Burrow at Athens high school and then three years at Ohio state and just wait and work. And if you're good enough, eventually it'll show through. And uh, I'm happy for him in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It's so funny to me because I've written a lot of these like alternate history stories where you try to like, go back and and predict like what things would be like today if one decision went differently. Like if Joe Burrow decided to stick it out and uh, which would have been an insane thing to do, by the way, because if Dwayne played two years, he would have exhausted his eligibility. But if he would have stuck through, he might be the starting quarterback and Justin Fields might be at Oklahoma right now. You know, like there's a lot of like craziness to it. Um, But, you know, I do think that there has been a shift and this is before the transfer portal even with quarterbacks uh, especially, where there seems to be some sort of expectation from these recruits that they're going to come into Ohio State, maybe redshirt one year and be the starter as a sophomore quarterback. And I've never understood when that shift create like began. Like the idea of coming in and playing immediately should not be on the list of things that are nece- like are necessary for a recruit to have at Ohio State. The plan has always been to come in, redshirt, get bigger, learn the playbook, wait your turn, and then maybe when you're a junior or a redshirt sophomore, you have your opportunity to play for two years, and then you can go and become the guys that you're sitting behind. But in recruiting and with the transfer portal and everything that you know is happening in this sport with the glorified free agency that we're seeing, there has been a shift in the recruiting process in terms of their thoughts of what their quarterback career should look like. And Joe stuck it out. He stayed as late as he possibly could have before he had no choice to transfer. And I think everybody has the sentiment of it's good to see him achieve what he deserved. And he, he's really put in the work to get to this point. Well, next week you'll be covering signing day. And every one of those kids thinks they're going to be a star and be an NFL first-round pick, right? And you go back five years, and he was not in the top half of that class, right, based on star ranking. And he's going to win the Heisman and be the number one pick at a different school. You just never know. Yeah, you never know. And it's, it's it's crazy. I mean, I was surprised that LSU even took him, to be honest. Like, I think, like, if you go back and look, I, I tweeted, like, while he was being recruited again as a grad transfer, like, the three destinations were uh, Texas Tech, um, Cincinnati, and LSU. And I was like, well, LSU, if they would take him, that'd be a pretty big risk to stake their entire future on a guy who 
you know, I at the time still like remember thought, yeah, it was just somebody that they had in a competition with Dwayne that was just going to run away with it anyway. I was like, but that's like a big time program to really like risk. And then they knew it, they knew it. Um, and anybody can do anything as long as they have the athletic ability and stay patient enough, you know, while putting in the work to get to those places. And, you know, that's the way it is at Ohio state. If you're on Ohio state's roster, regardless of what your star ratings are, you could probably start at every other school in America. And I think that just kids, when they come in, need to remember that. Well, I've heard Odell and Jarvis say that, that they are obviously extremely proud of Joe Burrow, even though they don't know him and that they're extremely jealous because they, they didn't get to play in that kind of offense at LSU. So, um, that's it's been fun to watch for all of us and we appreciate your insight Ari yeah no problem Zach anytime all right so now we move to the future uh we have Dane Brugler our NFL draft guru another native Ohioan um who's enjoyed the ride right Dan I think we're all fans of Joe Burrow you're looking at it with a critical and analytical eye um you know as we sit here early to mid-December is he the number one pick in the draft? He's certainly the favorite at this point. And, you know, it seems with every game he plays, you just you run out of reasons to doubt why he shouldn't be that top pick. Um, I, I think the fact that, you know, he made such a jump from his junior year to his senior year. That's something that NFL teams, some of them will struggle with just because we haven't seen anything like this. Um, and then also, uh, he doesn't have an elite NFL arm. He has a good arm, just not a great arm. And, uh, but when you get past those two things, everything else is above average, well above average. His ability to carve the, up the defense with his accuracy, uh, his intelligence, uh, he's able to quickly identify man or zone. He can use his eye level to hold defenders. And just his overall composure, his poise, he's never rattled. Uh, the competitive nature that he offers, uh, you know, the, the quarterback position is so much an intangible position. And Joe Burrow brings so much uh, of what you're looking for, the competitive toughness, the intensity. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers is kind of on his way out and Joe Burrow is on his way in. And it's kind of going to be a passing of the of the torch with those two guys, with the way they, they love to trash talk uh, and with two unlikely uh, guys who are just so competitive. Uh, so I think that works out fairly well. But yeah, there he just, when you put it all together, it, it's just all coming together for him at the right time. And it'd certainly be a surprise if, uh, if the Bengals end up with that number one pick and Joe Burrow is not their selection number one. Right. And, and it is the Bengals, so we'll see. Um, <laughs> this is true. But as someone who's covered the Browns for two decades and therefore has been involved in a lot of draft-related quarterback searches, Dane, you can pick apart any of these guys, right, whether mm-hmm. they end up being good or not. But to me, accuracy is the calling card, and it stands out. Is that fair to say, And not just in terms of Joe, but in terms of the whole process? Yeah, I think there's two things you look for um, off the top. Uh, and you mentioned the first one, that's accuracy. That's something that translates from level to level, uh, regardless of competition, regardless of situation. Uh, if you're an accurate quarterback and you understand ball placement and timing, then uh, you know, you're know you in good shape. And the second thing is mental processing. Uh, and that's obviously a, a broad term, um, something that encompasses a lot of things, um, understanding uh, you know, your internal clock, uh, reading uh, the defense, going through progressions. And so that mental processing is paramount. And that's something that I think we have seen from Joe Burrow this year. Um, something that is just really impressive. He He's never rattled and he always knows uh, where to go with the football. Uh, it's just a really unique trait that he offers. Um, and if there's a void or a vulnerable matchup, he doesn't miss it he finds it and then he'll hit it and so that's something that is really uh, something impressive that's going to be uh something that when in when these teams meet in war rooms and they're discussing okay you know chase young and some of these other top players in the draft they're going to keep coming back to joe burrow and what he does well uh, and the strengths of his game and the top two things accuracy mental processing uh he's well above average in both those areas right I mean, this is his offense. You know, you read about going back to high school. It was three or four plays. It was just let him attack where he saw, and he was super accurate. And obviously, LSU has built this around him. You know, how much of this translates to the NFL? Um, is is he ready to play in, in 2020? Yeah, I, I think so. And 
you know, we uh, we see, talked about Joe Brady quite a bit um, about how what he brought to this offense. Um, it's a it's a spread RPO type of offense um, that really helps feature the talent uh, around the quarterback. It allows the quarterback to be a point guard. Um, and there are some things that he'll need to work on once he gets to the next level in terms of, you know, he gets a lot of checks from the sideline. And so just making more um, more changes at the line of scrimmage himself based off his reads and things like that. But overall, I think it's, uh, it's, it's an offense that is going to prepare him well for the next level. And it's, you know, I, I, something that I've talked to just when talking to scouts throughout the season, um, something I've asked almost each one is, have we seen this before in your, all your years of scouting, have you seen a quarterback take this type of jump from his junior year to his senior year? And most of them say, no, um, you know, some have said, you know, maybe Baker Mayfield, but not to this level. Um, someone mentioned Matt Ryan. I think the closest answer uh, might be Kerry Collins. Uh, and that was, you know, way back in the early nineties when he went from a, a solid player to an all American as a senior at Penn state and was a, a top five pick. So, um, it's just it's a rare occurrence for a player to take this type of jump, but the addition of Joe Brady uh, and that as the passing game coordinator and just the development of that offense, uh, allowing uh, Joe Burrow to be more creative with what he's doing out there, uh, and then everything clicking at the right time. His confidence uh, in that offense, um, he's just he's playing his best football at the right time, and it's just it's really impressive to watch. Right. Uh, let's talk about that jump. You know, I, I remember, uh, and we talked about this earlier in the podcast with Brody Miller, our LSU reporter. You know, right away, that first game uh, he plays at LSU against Miami, it was like, okay, he, he's really good. Like, this is different. But nobody saw him that time as a first-rounder, right? Like, what? how has the view changed over the last 15 or so months? He came into the year, um, and, you know, something, just my process, uh, over the summer, um, I, I spend a lot of time on the phone talking with scouts and different people around the league, uh, just you know, trading notes and that type of thing. And the highest grade I heard uh, from a scout over the summer was fourth round. So this is a day three prospect coming into the year. Um, and a big part of that was, uh, you know, he was under 60% completions last year as a junior. Uh, now there were, there was reason to be you know, optimistic that the last four games uh, last season, he was really, really impressive. Um, really since that Alabama game last year, um, it, he really uh, took some major steps in his development, including in the bowl game against UCF. He was a Fiesta Bowl MVP. And I think that's to be expected when you consider that, you know, he joined LSU just last season. He was getting used to a new offense, a new coaching staff, uh, new teammates, uh, you know, developing that chemistry and having to do that in the SEC. So I think it's to be expected. And, and also that he had never started before. Uh, you know, he uh, goes to Ohio State where he's the backup behind JT Barrett and then loses out to Dwayne Haskins. And, you know, there's uh, nothing to be ashamed of there. Goes to LSU and, you know, he's getting his first real reps at the college level in the SEC with a team that he just joined. So I think it's to be expected there would be a little bit of a learning curve. So it was, uh, it was uh, you know, r promising to see him uh, show some of those developments down the stretch the last four games. Uh, but I don't think anybody could have expected he'd take this type of leap uh, going into a senior year. It's been certainly something, like I mentioned, we haven't seen very often from junior year to senior year at the quarterback position. But uh, like I said, he's playing his best football at the best time. Right. Uh, still four months till the draft, but I think it was 29 teams were there at the Alabama game. Was that the day everybody kind of shut the notebook and said, okay, this is, this is probably the number one pick? Yeah, and I think that you look at, uh, okay, what he did against Texas. I mean, that was great, but okay, what's he going to do in the meat of the SEC schedule? Okay, well, he does it against Auburn, does it against Florida. Two really good defenses with future pros on that side of the ball. And then still, people were like, okay, well, let's wait till he goes to Tuscaloosa, see what he does against a Nick Saban defense. Okay, well, check that box, because he, he did that. He put up over uh, you know 40 points uh, against that Alabama defense on the road, tough place to play. You know, all the eyes of the world are on that game and he was under control the entire game. So now does he benefit from a lot of talent around him? There's no question. Um, Edwards Hilaire, the running backs really developed this year and emerged as an NFL prospect. Uh, he's got legit NFL weapons at receiver. The offensive line has gelled and played well to give him time. So he benefits from a strong supporting cast, but there's no question with what he did 
uh, especially after that Alabama game. And it was kind of like, okay, it's time to really take him seriously as a number one overall pick type of contender. Fair to say we won't see him back in Alabama as in he doesn't need the senior ball? That'll be interesting because anyone you talk to who spends five minutes with him tells you how competitive he is. So would there be, I mean, you know, there's going to be the itch for him to play uh, because it's uh, it's an opportunity for him to compete and show what he can do. I don't think he's scared at all. Uh, but, you know, will his representatives and the people around him say, listen, you know, you're you're the lead dog here. There's no reason for you to do it. And so that that will be interesting to see ultimately what he chooses to do. I think it's, you know, scouts would love to see him there. It's just another opportunity uh, to see him throw the ball around. And it'd be great for the receivers uh, that are in, in Mobile. Uh, but I, I that is a decision that I am eagerly uh, going to be watching closely just to see what he does because it's going to be hard for him to say no to that opportunity. I, I agree just knowing a little bit about him and his makeup, but I think it's – you mentioned it, the representatives, like, let's just go condo shopping right. in Cincinnati, right? Let's not go to Mobile. Right, right. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Dane, it's a hell of a story. Uh, it really is. Um, and we're glad to have you as part of this podcast as we count down to the Heisman ceremony and uh, what's beyond. So thanks for your time. Anytime. All right. Thanks to Dane. Thanks to Ari. Thanks to Brody. Thanks to John. Thanks to you guys for listening. A lot of really cool stories, tidbits, notes. Um, it's been a hell of a story. And I thought this was a good way to tell it. Uh, I really did. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you'll spread the word and share. Um, if you're not on board with The Athletic, what the heck are you waiting for? And I'm going to log off and make my reservations for Athens, Ohio on the night of the national championship game. It might be wild. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.